0: Hey there, fellow parent entrepreneurs. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to join us here on the Kenza Pod. My name is Tiffany Jones. I'm the co-founder and CEO of the Kenza Collective, where we empower and educate parents who are making the transition from working for the man to working for themselves. Our goal is to help you create a life where you have autonomy, freedom, and the power to dictate how you spend your days, all based on your family's unique needs. So if you're ready to hand in your notice and experience the freedom that comes from working for yourself, or if you've already done it and are in the trenches trying to manage all the pieces, you're in the right place. Be sure to check out KenzaCollective.com for all kinds of resources specifically geared toward the busy working parent. And thanks again for being here. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, all you Kenza Pod listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Today is just me and Beth coming to you from California and Maine to chat with you about a very specific topic. Hi, Beth. Coast to coast,
1: Kenzie Collective is here for you.
0: (laughs) I love it. Uh, So today what we're going to be talking about is subcontractors. So you using subcontractors, whether it's one or multiple, on um, a project or a couple of projects, or to help you behind the scenes. So you are hiring someone to help you execute something. And how does that work? Um, When I first went out on my own and was doing this, I was making some mistakes in the way that I was entering it into my books and the way that I was just thinking about it in general. I've made some mistakes along the way around how I've managed subcontractors, things I didn't talk about ahead of time that I should've. Um, and I've been thinking this episode has been percolating and brewing for months and months, as I told Beth before we hit record. Um, and, and I was just gonna come on and talk about it from sort of a project management perspective, but then Beth's like, hey, hey, wait, I, I have some <laughs> things to talk about with subcontractors too. Um, and so we are gonna kind of walk you through a scenario of what it's like to, from start to finish, you need a subcontractor, you talk with them, you bring them on, you pay them, and then you kind of wrap up. And how does that whole process go? from both a project management and a financial perspective. So that's what we're coming with you, coming at you with today. Beth, do you have anything to add to that intro?
1: Oh God, I have so much to add to that intro. <laughs> 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 no, I was making notes as you were talking and I usually try to really be an active listener as you know, but I was like doing that thing that people shouldn't do where they like think of what they need to think about for the next time they talk only because we're doing a podcast, not because I'm being a rude conversationalist. But I just was thinking of some of the types of things I wanted to talk about with the subcontractors. So,
0: Cool. We're going to get into it. Um, All right.
1: Let's go. Giddy up.
0: Giddy up. Uh, Wait, so before we do get into all the details, though, (laughs) um, hold up your giddy up there. Um, (laughs) Whoa. Whoa, whoa. (laughs) Um, So we here at Kenza hire subcontractors quite a bit. And if you didn't know that, now you know. Um, So... Just if you're kind of new to this community, or maybe we haven't communicated this very well, but Beth and I both have clients that we work with still. Kenza is not our numero uno. And what we do a lot of times is we bring a client into the Kenza umbrella, and then we hire subcontractors from the Kenza community to help us execute projects. So a great example of this is right now I'm about to wrap up a website project, And I have hired three different subcontractors from the Kenza community to help me execute this project with my clients. So one is helping me to build out the Squarespace site. One did a lot of the messaging and copywriting. And another one has written several blogs for them. All three of these people are from the Kenza community. And so um, and we have a lot of other things coming down the pike. Um, This particular client is going to want another website after this. Um, So we're going to get started on that. Beth has a lot of bookkeeping accountant type of clients, but she also has a ton of connections that aren't just in the financial space. So we are, Beth and I are like super connectors. That is definitely one of our superpowers and something that has drawn us together. And so if you are interested in subcontracting with us, or you're looking for jobs that kind of come through the collective with clients that we know and trust, uh, you should get in touch with us. So. The best way, two two good ways to do this. Number one, join our Slack channel. It's totally free. It's really easy. And we post jobs in there often. So go to KenzaCollective.com slash Slack and join us in there. And then the other thing that you'll need to do is set up an interview with me. So I do free little 30 to 60 minute, I call them coffee chats with people. Um, We get to know each other. And this is just a good way for me to stay connected to our community in general. But it's also a really great way for you to let me know what kind of skills and services you offer so that we can keep you top of mind when these things come into uh, the collective umbrella. So just quick little plug there before we dive in.
1: And also, I get requests for referrals for bookkeeping type of people a lot. So, um, if you are one of those folks and you just need some more clients, get in touch because uh, I might could send you somebody.
0: She might could everybody.
1: Yeah, because because most of the you know it, you guys know this you you guys you bookkeepers out there that are super busy, who probably aren't even listening to this because you're too busy. Um, but you know. A handful of clients is usually sufficient, and and then you get into overload. So it's real easy for, for people's workloads to to build up. So those of you who don't have a lot of capacity, please be in touch.
0: And those of you who don't have a lot of capacity and are thinking of hiring subcontractors, this is oh, a good that too. You're listening that to that too.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Tiff Tiff told you how to get in touch with us. You know the various ways, and we'll put it in the show notes. So reach out.
0: Yeah, please do. There's plenty of work out there, and yeah. um, people ask Beth and I a lot for referrals because they trust us and yeah. they know that we're going to refer them to good people, and we do. And you are good people out there, um, so get in touch. All right, I think right. I think we've made our point. Let's keep going here. Yeah, we well, have be a careful lot to get what through. you wish
1: for because sometimes <laughs> these know. appeals, you know, you're about, to, you may be about to get super busy. <laughs> <laughs> More busy? Even more busy. So I'm just saying.
0: So there are definitely some pros and cons when it comes to working with subcontractors. Some of the pros are that it can help you bring your client better value so you can create a better deliverable for them. So maybe they're looking for You know, a a larger project, but some of the pieces are not something that you want to do or can do or it's not your skill set. And so you can bring them a lot more value and again, just stay more valuable to them, which is really good. Um, You can get to tap into your network and bring someone else business, which is also really nice to do. Um and something else that's really nice is that you can work as part of a team. So this is something that you might be missing from your traditional career that you may have been in is working with people to create something. Um and I missed that a lot. And I this is why I love working with subcontractors because I love creating these little project teams and having that feeling again. So those are just some of the pros. What are some of the cons, Beth?
1: Well to before I tell you about the cons, I just wanted to say that what you're talking about, Tiff, is the ability to create kind of a dream team, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of a fantasy football of the best people you know that you'd like to work with and yeah. bring those to one of your clients, which will get you so many points, you'll they'll never stop calling you for more work. Just saying. It's very true. <laughs> um, you know, it, if you're gonna have subcontractors, you have to keep in mind, that if your business is sloppy you're going to impact somebody else now so Mm -hmm. really get your house in order financially you're going to have to think about doing 1099s you're going to have to make sure you understand how to do that or make sure you're hiring someone to do that so you know just make sure your financial house is in order um make sure also that when you're you know when you're hiring somebody that you've done the math and you've said here's how much I can bill and you know, here's how much I can afford to pay these guys and and be realistic and also don't, don't try to do this thing where everybody's trading for things. Anyway, I think I probably just covered about six things right (laughs) now that we can unpack later.
0: Yeah. And and just to tack onto that, you know, it is, this is going to be more management time for you. You're going to be managing people now. and so it's just something to, and we're going to talk about how you can make sure that you're getting paid for that time. But it's also effort, you know, um, yeah. so just be aware of that. If you're not someone who likes to manage people or is not comfortable with that, you know, maybe hiring subcontractors is either not a great idea for you or that's a, something you need to go beef up a little bit, understand how to do that and take that as an opportunity to learn a new skill set and then the other the other potential con is that, you know, if if you hire a subcontractor that drops out, goes dark, doesn't do very good work, you know, you're going to be the one who needs to pivot and sort of figure out what to do and and make sure you protect the client from from any of that sort of drama or anything that may happen there. Um so again, it's not a bad thing. It's actually one of those ways where you can create much larger projects, like not in term not just in terms of value that you're bringing your client, but also in terms of a uh, dollar amount. You can actually create, you know, all the all of a sudden a project goes from 5,000 to 15,000 because you're able to bring on these other skill sets and execute a little bit bigger of a project. Um so it's just there's, there's good and bad things to. I think it's next level freelancing business. Um, and once you've been doing it by yourself for a while, this is a good next step for you to explore. So just kind of going into it with eyes wide open with some of those pros and cons, I think is important to start with.
1: Another way you might get into that is by first, say you're with a client and you know someone you'd like to hire and you can convince the client to hire them. And the client may have a little bit more infrastructure set up. Um, Mm -hmm. financially. Maybe that's a good first step and then you can test someone out basically. As Tiff said you'll be able to charge more when you're the one that's managing the whole thing and billing the whole thing out Um, and because at that point you're basically saving your client a lot of hassle. It is a hassle you know the client would let's say the client hires this person. Let's say you're doing a project and you're like, I got the best person and you can convince your client to hire them directly as a a contractor, then they'll deal with the 1099 and they'll deal with all of that. And you don't have to do the bookkeeping for that. However, again, you can charge more if you do it the other
0: way. So yeah, and there's definitely a different dynamic too when the client hires someone versus you've brought them into your project. You know, it's just a little bit different of like, I hate to use this phrase, but kind of like a different power dynamic, almost like mm-hmm. when I bring on subcontractors, like I feel like I'm in charge of the project. I everything should go through me in terms of like quality control, making sure it's everything's fitting together. Everybody's communicating like all that kind of stuff. But if they're working directly with a client, it's just a little bit different of a dynamic, you know, not good or bad, but just something to be thinking about. Um Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to walk through a scenario um, and we're just going to kind of go step by step of what this looks like and call out some things to be aware of. So obviously, step one is that a client wants to do a project with you and they say, hey, do you uh, we really would love a, a copywriter for this or we would really love to bring in a designer on this. Do you have anybody you work with? And at that point, that's kind of your crossroads to determine whether you want to offer to bring someone in under your umbrella and under your project scope, or if you think it would be more appropriate for them to just work directly together. And there's a lot of factors that go into that decision, like let's say they need a designer to make them a logo, and that has to happen before you can even start on your work. Well, maybe it makes sense at that point to just send them a referral and say, hey, let me know when this is getting close to being over and then I can come in and do my part of the project. And you don't need to manage that person or do that. You can just refer them. And that's totally fine. But sometimes you have a project where this subcontractor needs to be a part of the actual execution of the project. And in that case, it might make sense for you to offer to the client, hey, I'd be happy to bring this person in. I can manage them. I'll bill all through me. You don't have to worry about anything. And like Beth was saying, that's a huge um, value add to your client when you can offer that type of service and you make them pay for it. I mean, they don't necessarily see a line item of like they can, but you don't have to add a line item that says like admin fee, but you do build it into your cost. So you make sure you cover your time, you know.
1: Yeah, because they've, now you're agreeing to do more accounting. Mm -hmm. You should bill for that, especially Mm -hmm. if it's not something you enjoy doing, or especially if you have to outsource that to someone else, that's going to cost you money. The more complicated your, your accounting gets, the more either time or money it costs you. Yeah. So.
0: Okay. So that's, you know, kind of step one things to consider now they say hey yeah that'd be great please i would love for you to um bring someone in under you know it that you manage and you know whatever is part of the project so that's a scenario we're going to be talking about today so now you start to off you start to ask around and try and find someone and get a few references and we always like to tell you to interview people beforehand unless it's someone that you've worked with before Even if it's like a good friend of yours or it's someone that a good friend recommended or they have an amazing portfolio, like it doesn't really matter that surface level stuff. You need to make sure that they're going to be a good fit to work with you. And there's some really, really key things that you need to talk through with these people um, or this person before you actually like really commit to working with them. But the very first step is an interview and you want to make sure that you share with them the client's budget range and timeline. Those are the like two really, really key pieces of information that you need to make sure they're okay with before you go any further. Do, you know if the, if the client needs a website done in four weeks and this person is super booked and they can't start for another two weeks, I mean, a website done in four weeks is ridiculous, sorry, but whatever, the project needs to be done in four weeks. They can't start for another two weeks. They're not gonna be a good fit, even if you love their work. I mean, unless you can extend that timeline or do something else, like that's key information you need to know from the get go. And you need to share with them your budget range, you know, the client has X amount and make sure that you're thinking about your, whatever your part of the project is going to be and whatever your admin fee is going to be. So you're giving them a budget range. that's like, this is actually what I'm going to be, you know, have to pay you. Is this something that fit that you can fit within? So those are two key questions that you want to talk through at the interview, in addition to whatever else you want to ask them, and and that will help you get a feel for, you know, how they are, how they work, what their process is, and that kind of stuff. We're going to go through some of those things in a second. Anything else you want to say about that, like, preliminary interview process, Beth?
1: You know, it's important to vet people because this is your reputation, right? So you have to know the good and the bad about whoever it is that you're going to represent. And then make sure that you're really careful about who who you're willing to to recommend or represent to others. Because not everybody necessarily is in the right place for the reputation you want to have. So you know, do do vet people before you you pass them along. Or if you have not vetted them and you're passing names along, make sure you say, full disclosure, I really don't know this person and they're a friend of a friend. That way Mm -hmm. the person is aware of the, the weight to give your recommendation if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, good point.
0: Okay, so the next step is let's say and these this set of questions we're going to go through right now is, you know, you could either talk about this during the interview process if it's someone that you're really seriously considering, or this could happen after you and this other person have decided like, yeah, this could be a really good fit. Let's talk details. But these are the questions that I've come up with um, kind of going back to what I said in the beginning of kind of learning the hard way. <laughs> and, um, and these are the things that I now go through with each of our subcontractors. And in fact, we are working on putting together an onboarding form for our subcontractors that make sure that some of these questions are answered and filled out and understood from the very beginning. Cause this is what can really make or break a, a workflow and a project success is, is the type of stuff we're going to get into here now. So <clears throat> here's some of the conversations and things you want to talk about. Number one, you want to understand, you want them to make sure they understand your workflow and your kind of management style. So for me, you guys all know by now that I really mostly work on fixed timeline projects. So eight to 10 weeks or 10 to 12 weeks, and that I... That's the only way that I have found to really be able to contain a project and to make the most amount of money I can um, is to have projects in these fixed timelines. And there's a lot of really good reasons to do this. Um, And if you go to our website, KenzaCollective.com and go to Kenza classes, I have a whole class on free class on how to do this, just a 45 minute lesson on how to manage and why this is important to manage on fixed timelines. But it's really important to talk about that with this potential person, because if they don't understand what that means or how you work or what you expect of people you work with um, that's where the problems are gonna start to happen so really talk through your workflow your process what you expect of them how you're gonna be communicating how often you're gonna be communicating where you're going to be communicating is it through text is it through slack is it through asana is it through trello whatever it is talk through all of that and make sure that this person is going to be able is able and willing to integrate into that workflow and that they really understand what's expected of them because keep in mind that this person is also their own you know they're they're a contractor too and they have their own business going and their own clients and this is where i see some of the issues coming up is where two separate businesses or contractors have their own process, their own way of doing things, and they try and meld them without really making a plan or talking about that ahead of time, of really how is that going to happen on a day-to-day basis. And all you have to do is talk about it and come up with a plan together and a workflow and a dedication to, hey, we're trying to do all of this at the end of the day to deliver a really great product for this client, so we need to figure out together where the compromises are going to be and how things are going to work and flow um, so that there's no conflict. So you guys can just have fun hopefully doing this and not be um, frustrated with one another if that happens. Anything else? Yeah, Beth, you yeah, have some. Yeah,
1: I'm like making notes furiously <laughs> over here. I hope I can cover it all. Um, we're trained in our culture, like not to be direct about things that involve business or money. Um, and it's just, just remind yourself in this relationship and in other relationships that sometimes you just have to be direct and know, and, ex- and, ha- and talk through the expectations up front. Tiffany's got a great uh, way of putting boundaries around this work in terms of timelines. I think that's really important. <laughs> now I'm gonna go on to say that my work is completely open-ended, surprisingly <laughs> enough. For example, I adore this client that I have right now. But I'm on like year four of an eight-week assignment with them. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I only, I only continue working with them because I adore them. So, you know, and I've, I told them at the beginning, I'll be here for you as long as you need me. So, you know, but I also work with nonprofits. So that's kind of a different dynamic. So don't mm-hmm. use that as an example. However, I would say that if I could do things If I could have done things differently with some of my clients over the last 20 years, I probably would have built into my ongoing relationship with them a contract that talked about, let's check in once a year and decide whether we're going to keep going with this. And Mm. when that happens, here's what's going to happen to the rates. But, you know, I, I... have only raised prices on my clients a handful of times. And I really should have, you know, done a whole lot better at policing that. And so if you do have open-ended type of work, the type of thing where you'll have somebody that relies upon you for an ongoing project or service for years, months, years, make sure you do like set milestones and and revisit and, And all of
0: that, Beth. Before we started recording, you said, "I bet we're going to come up with some other ideas for other podcast episodes." In this one, you just like randomly said that, and I was like, "Yeah, we probably will." And I think that that's the other idea is like how to how to properly manage a long term retainer Mm -hmm. client or just a long term client. Like, what Mm -hmm. are some ways that you can put? like outs for yourself or boundaries or check-ins and like ways that's just like built in. So it's not like, oh, God, I should probably meet with them soon to raise my rates. It's like, <laughs> oh, no, this is our once, this is our annual meeting to talk about rates. It's already there. We all know what's happening, you know. Rates so and let's, expectations. Um, let's make notes, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What
1: what I end up doing so much of the time is getting called in in the middle of a crisis. So some of these conversations don't get talked through. So yeah. That's another That's another whole thing. So I think I would love, Tiffany, to, to the two of us in, in a future podcast, to walk through like things I did wrong. And you can tell me ways. We can talk about ways to implement different um, corrective actions and also how to build that differently. Because you know what? Mm-hmm. You can learn from other people's mistakes, too. Yeah. Just saying.
0: Okay. I like it. So. Okay. So. You've had the conversation with the subcontractor about your workflow style, communicate, or how you're gonna communicate, all that kind of stuff. And like Beth was saying, don't sugarcoat this, just have a frank conversation. And remember, we're at the point in the process where nothing has been signed, nothing is official yet. You've just decided with this person, hey, I think we could be a good fit. Let's talk about some details before we like go through now the next step, which would be to put together a proposal and all of that. So you're just making sure here that all these little details, because these are the details that make or break a project and make or break how much energy and frustration or happiness or anything that you may experience during the course of a project. These are the details that really make that happen. So talk about these things. Okay. So you've talked about your workflow, your process. Um, again, go talk about schedule, get down and dirty talking about the actual dates of the schedule. We would want to kick it off around this week. These are some key, they have a presentation they need something ready for by this date. These are some key deadlines I know that they have in place. Please, like you could even ask them, like please go away and take some time to look at your calendar and make sure that you're going to be able to like work in sort of this style and have things ready by these times. Um, So talk about that, that right there because that's again going to make your life harder if you are now blocked by someone else because they didn't see something in their schedule. So talk about schedule and make sure that they are understanding the budget too. really go over the numbers and say, look, this is a, you know, I have three to $5,000 set aside for this part of the project. Um, Are you going to be able to stick within that budget? Is is the work that you do something that can work within that? Um, Or maybe talk through some of the ways where they would maybe feel a little bit of concern. Maybe it's going to go a little over in this place and they're, you know, they're not really sure how they would handle that or whatever. Talk about the money part of it. Other things to talk through. Uh, Oh, yeah, Beth, you have a thing. Yeah,
1: no, quickly, I just want to reiterate the fact that, or bring this up. You know, a lot of us are uncomfortable with money conversations. A money conversation is like a time conversation. It's the same weight, right? So just, you know, here's my, what's your budget? What's your budget is perfectly fine. How can I stay within budget? Who can, what can I do that works with your budget? Get all that out there. It's not like, don't. Act like cats in a room. You know, just, just mm-hmm. get it out there. And um, that's very important. And the other thing I want to say is discuss a, a lot of all y'all listening out here are uh, parents, and do discuss uh, availability, boundaries around your time, boundaries around like not answering things in the middle of the night at, on Saturday, you know, and all of that. Have a converse, frank conversation about their expectations about your availability.
0: Yeah, I love that. And both, you know, both of your availabilities, um, you know, that is that's a really, really good point, Beth, um, in terms of just like the details of scheduling. Um, For example, we I worked with someone one time who I didn't know until we got into the project. And I blame myself for this. Like I didn't have this. This this is my lesson learned um, a while ago. And why it's in here is that I didn't know until I got into it with a subcontractor that they were only going to like they only worked two days a week and that they really didn't check stuff the other days of the week and I just didn't know that we didn't talk about it ahead of time and that um just got difficult for me at some point in the project and this was a while ago um but I just didn't know that. And so I didn't, I was like, Oh, how come they haven't answered yet? Or why am I not hearing from them? And it, you know, it just causes a little bit of frustration and you're just, you're just not understanding what's going on. And then finally they said, Oh yeah, sorry. I only work these days. And I was like, oh, okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, and so it's again, those details that are going to make or break your experience in this project. So just talk through that.
1: I'd also suggest to that person, freelancer to freelancer, that they might want to include that in their signature at the bottom of their emails.
0: <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, like be uh-huh. upfront about it. Tell everybody yeah. I only work
1: especially Monday, if you're Wednesday, not checking Friday. things
0: other days. Yeah. You know? yeah,
1: yeah. Put it put it in your signature. I work Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays. The end.
0: Yeah. Now everybody <laughs> yeah.
1: knows, and, and like, yeah. don't be don't be bashful about it. Just do it, and then everybody's yep. not aggravated
0: when, when you're not getting back to them. <laughs> Just yeah, saying. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then uh, in terms of like a f- uh, couple of other things, and then we'll get into financial. So um, something the other thing that you need to decide at some point, whether this is a conversation with the contractor or a conversation with yourself, is do you want this person to be client facing? So do you want them to be presenting things to the client, sharing things with them, sharing their work, or is that something that you're going to take on? And that makes a big difference because if they're going to be client facing, number one, you want to extra make sure you trust them um, and make sure that they're going to be representing your business the right way. Because again, to your client, yeah, they understand this is a subcontractor, but they're part of your team and they're not really going to distinguish like, oh, they said that, but that's just a subcontractor. That doesn't represent Tiffany. And, you know, it just doesn't work like that. So... Um, if they are going to be client facing, that means that you need they need a budget and you need a budget in time for them to be in meetings. And that's another scheduling thing. So sometimes it can get a little crazy if you have a client you and one or two other subcontractors and all those schedules that need to be coordinated that's work it's a lot of work actually um and you just want to make that decision ahead of time and if they're going to be in meetings maybe they are in four out of ten meetings or something they're going to need a budget for that you're going to need a budget for that so Then on the flip side, though, it can be really beneficial to have your subcontractors be client facing because that gives them an opportunity to walk through their work and why they made certain decisions and what kind of feedback they're looking for. Maybe they have meetings with the clients that you're not in and all of that kind of stuff. So again, at the beginning, we were talking about pros and cons. There's pros and cons to all these decisions, um, but these are important decisions to make nonetheless. And so depending on who it is, um, you could talk with them and say, Hey, do you prefer to present your work directly to client and work with them? Or do you want me to kind of take care of that piece? And that's another really important conversation to have.
1: And also what's the arrangement between the two of you, right? Are Mm -hmm. they representing you and them or are they representing themselves in their opinions? Right?
0: Yeah, totally. We're,
1: who's billing who and who's paying who and how does that whole thing work? Speaking of finances.
0: Yeah, yeah we'll get into all that in a second. <laughs> so you're still in the discussion phase, just to kind of remind you. So you you have decided you need some subcontractors, you've interviewed a couple people, you've narrowed in on maybe one particular person, and now you're talking the nitty gritty details with them. Um One other thing that you want to... Two, uh, two last points before we move on from this. So number one is, we talked about this a little bit, but make sure they understand your process and how you expect them to sort of integrate into your process and how that's all going to play out. So do you use Asana to manage your projects? Do you want them to jump into that? Are they okay with that? Are they going to be able to check it? All that kind of stuff. And then another talking about money is talking about how and when they're going to be paid. So are you going to have them wait until the client pays you and then you'll pass that money along? Or are you going to pay them separately no matter if the client pays you or how late they are or whatever happens on the client side? How are you going to handle that? That is definitely something that you want to be really, really clear on from the beginning and even have in writing is how is that payment going to happen? Beth, is there anything you wanna say about that part? Is there like a best practice from a bookkeeping perspective on how to handle that? Yeah, I mean,
1: usually, (laughs) my experience is that that's kind of the unsaid understanding that um, people have to get paid by the client in order to pay the subcontractors. However, you should have yourself set up in such a way that you have enough reserve to, to front a little bit every now and then. Because it depends on who you have. Depends on how big you are, how much resources you you have, and and um, how desperate that person is to get paid. One of the things we always did, and when I worked for like let's say advertising agencies, every you know the the employees got paid. That was thing number one. Thing number two was all the independent contractors, the little ones, right? Got paid yeah. next, mm-hmm. and then like you could wait for a, a month to pay the printing bill or the you know there were big companies that, who could absorb a lag in billing and uh, in receivables basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's that too.
0: And you just want to you just want to be on the same page about it, you know? Like there can be a scenario where like maybe you have a really long project with a client, you know, maybe it's a big website you're putting together or something like that, it's like 10, 12, 14 weeks or something. And the person that you're subbing out, um, maybe they have like a a two-week little gig at the very beginning of that project. So from their perspective, it can kind of be a bummer if they have to wait three more months to get paid for something they did a long time ago. So just think about these things and there's things you can do. You know, you can, um, build that into, we, we always bill 50% upfront to start on a project. And so maybe you bill a little bit more to cover this person's payment, or maybe their payment comes out of that or whatever it may be. It doesn't, there's different ways you can put this together, but the bottom line is to just have that discussion, put it in writing and make sure everyone understands how and when they're going to get paid because I you know we're firm believers here uh, Beth and I that you don't mess with people's money you just don't mess with people's money um no. sometimes people you know you do it on accident you don't mean to um but you you just need to have things really clear and in writing and this is one of those areas where you talk about it up front and everyone's on the same page um and again have it in writing
1: also wanna quickly say if you have any upfront hard costs, like something where you're fronting some money to get something done, you, know, you definitely
0: wanna make sure you're getting a deposit on that. And at the end of the day, after you've had all this conversation with someone, trust your gut. This person is an extension of you, of your work ethic, of your quality of work, of your business, and you wanna make sure that there's someone you can trust. And there's always gonna be a level of uncertainty, no matter who you're hiring. You know, anything could happen, of course, but, you know, if you're kind of feeling like, yeah, I don't know if this person's going to be a good fit, their portfolio looks amazing, I think that their work could make me look really good at the client, but something about what they said in this conversation really kind of was a red flag to you. Beware of that, okay? And take that seriously. And, and remember that you're gonna be entering into a contract with this person and a relationship with this person, and you don't want it to suck. <laughs> and there's lots and lots of people out there who can do great work. Um, so don't be afraid to, to walk away from someone if you even get the slightest little bit of a inkling that, that might not be a good fit.
1: And it's not a bad idea to um, research three vendors even if you think you know one vendor pretty well, maybe just make a rule for yourself. I'm going to talk to three people for this project. I love that.
0: That's a great So you idea. have a comparison yeah. point. And you've gotten to know three different people, you know? Yeah. Also.
1: And somebody might be great for something else that you're doing.
0: Yeah. That's how you exactly. meet people. If you're looking for a community of like-minded parents who know that there is a better way to integrate career and family, I invite you to join our free Slack workspace. Now, listen, I know that none of us have time to keep up with yet another platform or YAP, as some people may say. And the good news is that our Slack just isn't like that. It's organized into very specific topics, and it should serve as a resource for you to get real-time feedback and answers to your specific questions. We also have a jobs channel where you can keep an eye out for great freelancing and consulting gigs that we come across or that we're specifically hiring for here at Kenza. To join us, head to Kenzacollective.com slash Slack. It's free and it's easy. I hope to see you in there. Okay. So you've had this conversation. You guys are all on the same page. You, you know, it's going to, you know, you think you're going to do really well together and you're ready to get going. So the next step at this point is to have them submit a proposal to you. So you are now their client essentially, and you're going to sign off on that proposal and that contract with them from your business to their business. So you are hiring them to come in and help you with something. And then what you want to do, this is what I do, Beth jump in. If I've done something that I shouldn't do here, but what I then do is I take their amount, you know, their proposal, and I add that scope of work and I add their amount to my overall proposal. So in my proposals, I have a kind of, I kind of tell a story in my proposals and they're get to a section that really gets down to the nitty gritty of like, what are we actually doing in our scope of work here? And I just add that section into there. And I make sure that, you know, there's sometimes before it even gets to that point, there's some back and forth with the subcontractor to get, help them get really clear on what our scope of work is. So maybe they've left something out that I usually add in. Like, usually I add in how many revisions are going to be on something. Is it going to be one revision or two revision on revisions on something? Um, and sometimes subcontractors don't always add that. And so I will ask them, Hey, how many revisions are you willing to allow in here? You know, cause that's going to impact your budget. Um, so little details like that, and then you add it to your your overall proposal, you add their amount to your total project cost. So you're not like, you know, adding line items for each one of your subcontractors. At least that's not how I do it. And what you want to do is you need to take into account, you need to add a slight markup to this person's cost that accounts for the time that you're going to need to manage this person and any other costs that you incur for having a subcontractor. Like Beth was talking about, you're gonna to have to issue 1099s at the end of the year. You're gonna to have to you know, organize their work and you pay for Google Drive where they're keeping their files and you pay for Canva that you're inviting them into. All the different things, the infrastructure that they're getting to enter into and take advantage of. Um, you need to add a cost for that. So typically you, you can do a percentage, maybe 10, 15, 20% on top of theirs, um, their total project cost, and just integrate that into your overall cost. So again, it's not like it's visible to the client. They don't see that you're adding this admin fee on top of it because they just don't need to, um, you're not trying to like hide anything. It's just none of their business. In my opinion, it's none of their business, what I'm charging for my business. What do you think about that, Beth?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it depends. I mean, they can ask you like what the numbers are based on. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it makes sense to say, well, that's that roughly equates to this amount of time. Right. Right. How do you answer that question, Tiff? I think we get that sometimes.
0: I honestly don't really get that question. <laughs> I really don't. Rub like, style. I'll just give a number, and and they're just like, okay, that's what it costs to do this. Or I'll give like tiers, like. Tier one could be this set of work, and here's the cost. Tier two is this set of work, and here's the cost. And tier three is all this other stuff, and here's the cost. Um,
1: And then everybody goes for menu number three with the dessert.
0: (laughs) That's what you, I mean, that's what you like. You actually want them to go for number two. If they go for number three, it's like, oh, shit, now we have to do all this work. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh, my gosh. Sometimes Uh. there are not enough hours in the day.
0: I know you're like it'd be sweet to get this big old contract, but man, now we have oh to do all that.
1: Push everything out of the way. Um, what I want to say also is, we're a lot of us are in small businesses, working with with and around other small businesses, and. In a lot of cases, if you come in with a really solid process for how you do things and you've got your own contracts written and all this kind of stuff, a lot of times you're going to influence them to do better. And also you'll be influencing the vendors to do some more professionalism, too. And that just benefits mm-hmm. everybody. That ben- mm-hmm. that benefits everybody in our small business ecosystem. You know, let's let's lift
0: each other up. Yes. Yes. Love it. And it's also yeah, like that's a great point to make, Beth. It's also really nice to see other people's process, you know, and yeah. to see how they're executing things and doing things and the software they're using. And, you know, um, one time I had someone hire me to be a project manager and they wanted me to use Monday.com for project management. And I am I've seen it. I've maybe dabbled, but I'm, I'm very like my comfort zone is in Asana. You know, that's just where I've been for like at least 10 years. I've been working in Asana. And so, but instead of being like, no, I don't want to do that. I was like, yeah, let's give this a try. Cause I wanted, maybe this is going to be better. And so, you know, it's an opportunity to, try other things and try, try different softwares or different processes. And then you grow from that too. So be open to that. Um, we ended up switching because she could tell that I was like, it's not that I was struggling. It's just that it was taking me a lot longer because everything I had to figure out versus like, just going through a sauna and setting stuff up. Like I know, but it was a good experience nonetheless. And I appreciated that that person was like, Hey, do you, do you want to go to a sauna? And I'm like, yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just go faster. It'll be better.
1: And they probably said, how long will it take to set this up and you said half an hour, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. You probably had
1: a shadow copy already set up in Asana ready to go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
1: I know you, you're, you're, you're such a fan of Asana. Uh,
0: I it's just, but, well, you know, just know it. That's all, yeah, you know? know,
1: know something really well, know something so, so well you could do it in your sleep. Exactly. And always be learning to Tiff's point, always be learning because you never know. Um, You may learn the next thing that, you know, I learned, I learned QuickBooks working at an advertising agency thinking I was going to be a copywriter. (laughs) And look what happened. So, you know, you just never know what something's going to lead to. So always be learning.
0: Yes, always be learning. Now we're getting close to the end of this process before you guys actually start to work together so now we're at the point where the client has signed off on your proposal that you've submitted that has incorporated your subcontractors rates and work um scope of work and all that kind of stuff so now you need to onboard this subcontractor if you've never worked with them before Um, and so some of the things that you want to make sure that you get from them is you want to make sure that your proposal and contract between you and your subcontractor is signed and executed and good to go and put that in a special folder because you might need to fall back on those terms at some point, you know, you may not need to, but sometimes you might need to. Um, so make sure you have that somewhere. Um, you want to collect their W nine and put that in a special folder that is for, you know, that tax year um beth what did you say about a w9 it's just a polite would you say it was a polite way of doing something the other day a w9 is a polite way of saying who
1: are you where do you live what is your business formation and please tell me your tax id number thank you very much <laughs> and your social please if you
0: if you don't have a tax your, id yeah your
1: tax id number which is either your corporate tax id or your company's tax id number or your social security number and so um yeah and and it's one of those things that like in the small print it basically says something along the lines of i'm asking for legitimate reasons and you're being asked politely to comply you know because like actually if you're working with someone and they don't give you that information then there's they can actually get in trouble
0: so, yeah. And and don't let this wait. Like don't have this as part of your onboarding and then you just forget to ask them for it. It's a pain in the butt later. Not only to remember who you worked with months and months ago, but go to like try and get in like you could be on a tax deadline trying to get all your stuff together and you're missing one freaking W-9 from someone you worked with 11 months ago and you can't get in touch with them. They're not getting back to you. And it just sucks. It's a pain in the butt. And so you can do it right in this moment and save yourself. So get your proposal signed, contract going, get their W-9 from them, um, and get them to send you a first invoice. And that invoice needs to include how they want to get paid. You would be shocked at how many people have sent me invoices and they don't tell me how to pay them. There's no, do you want to check? Do you want me to PayPal you? Do you want me to Venmo you? Do you want me to drop it to you in quarters from a drone? Like, how would you like to get paid, my friend? The most important part of this invoice is how can I give you money? So don't forget to right. put that on here. Yeah, after you tell people how
1: much money to give you, always tell them how to give it to you. Because yes. there's nothing more sad than being owed money and nobody can find you. Come on.
0: Get with the program here. um, Uh. And they might also put in those payment terms. So sometimes, you know, if you guys have agreed that they're, you know, they'll get paid once the client pays and the client is going to pay on certain milestones, just make sure those dates add up. So you don't have a subcontractor who's saying, hey, you owe me, you know, I sent you this invoice and, you you know, it was a net 15, which means you're supposed to pay it within 15 days. But then you go back and say, hey, but we agreed that I was going to pay you and the client pays me and they're not paying me for another... 30 days or something. So again, just those little details are what you want to have ironed out. Cuz you don't want any of that frustration around money especially that could have been mm-hmm. avoided when you're trying to work on a project together. It makes things yeah. weird and it doesn't need to be weird. <laughs> and money's money's too dumb for
1: that. You know, don't let money be that important. <laughs> yeah. You know, just get it out of the way in the beginning. It's not a big deal. I know we I yeah. know a lot of us have a lot of baggage around money, but really, it's not a big deal. Just it's numbers, it's math. Just talk about. Just gotta it. talk about it.
0: So, Beth, fill us in from a bookkeeping perspective. So, I've now gotten an invoice from a subcontractor. I've gotten paid from the client. Now, I'm going to pay that subcontractor. What does that look like in my bookkeeping?
1: You mean, how, how would you enter
0: that into, say, QuickBooks? Yeah. Like, for example, here's the here's the silly example I gave you before we hit record, which was I was when I first started doing this in the very beginning. I was like, oh, so the client is going to reimburse me for the fact that I paid this person. Like I'm getting reimbursed from them, but that's not really what it is. It's not a reimbursement, right? It's an expense.
1: It's part of your cost of goods. So you've all heard of cost of goods sold, right? Mm -hmm. Cogs, Um, right? Right. Cogs. Yeah. So you've got, you've got your income, right? Your income is what the client just paid you. Um, and you subtract out the cost of, Creating the project that you just did for your client. And that's your cost of goods sold. And the subcontractor that worked directly on that project is part of your cost of goods sold. However, if you also had a VA working on that project, (laughs) your dog is so bored with this. (laughs) That's
0: so funny. (laughs) He's literally whining in the background. (laughs) I'm going to put him out real quick. I wasn't sure if you could hear it. God, Come on, Leo. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny! Please get me out of here. Now they're talking about cogs. Oh. Screw this! I want the backyard. Okay, sorry, Leo, for boring you. <laughs>
1: okay. That was classic. Okay,
0: so what you're talking about is whether you have a contract subcontractor you hired to bring on to help with a very specific project, or. Maybe you have a VA or someone else that is helping with some of the project, but they help with other things too, how that might be different.
1: That person is considered to be administrative overhead if they're just helping you with like your schedule and stuff. That comes out of your, so after, so when you've got income, client pays you hundred dollars you had to pay a subcontractor $50, right? So your gross profit is $50, 100 minus 50 equals 50. So your gross profit right now is $50. Let's say you also, after that, brought on an assistant to help you, but they're helping you with a lot of different things and they charge you $10. So then you subtract the $10 from your gross profit to get your net profit. So the VA or general administrative stuff is usually considered to be part of your administrative and overhead costs. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's represented in a different part of your financials. But what's really important to do is first, the income minus the cost of goods to create that income, goods and services to create that income, because that tells you immediately whether what you're doing even makes any sense. Because if you're getting negative numbers there, then you're in the wrong, you're doing it wrong. You're in the wrong business or you're pricing wrong or something. So that's like a, just a super quick indicator. So that's how that works. Does that
0: make sense? Perfect. Yeah. That makes, that makes total sense. And if you have more questions on that or if maybe you are confused on how that works, you can always book some time with Beth. She does sort of ongoing mentoring. So she'll do like these three-month mentoring sessions where it's like an on you know you guys are learning about specific things and sort of building and growing and maybe solving a problem or getting you to the next stage or you can book one off like a you know we do 75 minute sessions with her so if you need some more help or more explanation on some of this um check out the show notes and we'll link to how to do that
1: yeah let's chat let's chat. yeah <laughs> i love to so, chat can you tell <laughs>
0: <laughs> let's talk cogs everybody just don't let's whine talk like cogs. my dog you might whine a little bit. I start whining after a while. That was so funny. It was just <laughs> it was like classic. I thought we were done with accounting, mom. <laughs> Boring stuff.
1: <laughs> so funny.
0: Um Okay, so now you've gotten everything good to go, and now it's just time to actually get through the project. So, you know, if I were you, I would set up regular check-ins with this person once a week, or, you know, kind of just depends on the nature of their work. But regular check-ins could be a quick 30-minute call, could be a quick check-in on Slack, whatever you want to do. Once you've put your project plan together, again, communicate with them about any milestones or deadlines that you have coming up with the project and make sure that they're going to be okay with that and they're scheduling. And then here's another sort of last, but definitely not least. This is a lesson I've learned the hard way. So talk through what you're going to do if something comes up in their world and they're not able to hit a deadline that you guys have agreed on. So if you don't talk about this ahead of time, that's where, again, like the frustration is going to come in and you don't need that. So life happens, right, especially when you're working with other parents, especially when you're working with other parents in COVID land.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Schools are going to oh. shut down. Your kid's yeah. going to have a sniffly nose, and the class is going to go, oh, my God, keep them out of school because they have, like, a tiny little bit of a runny nose. And so, boom, all the day, all of a sudden your day or your week is blown up. This, thing, this is going to happen, whether it's on your end or the other person's end. But here's what I would like to say about that is – that I think that you guys need to work on that internally and privately, and it doesn't need to affect the client. And, and it, it only should affect the client if, the, if all other options have been exhausted. So there needs to be a plan in place. So for example, I tell my subcontractors like, look, here's, here's the project plan we've agreed to. Here's the different deadlines we've agreed to. No one's going to die if things don't happen on this schedule. Like this is not life or death. However, it does affect you know our work ethic and what we're trying to deliver to the client, what we've promised and how we come through on what we say we're gonna do. So if and when something comes up, let's have a conversation about it first before just like blowing up the project timeline or pushing it an extra two, three, four, five weeks. You know Things are gonna happen, let's talk about it and let's find a way to sort of reshuffle and reflow the project and then spin it to the client To make it like maybe nothing has ever happened or, oh, hey, you know this week we're gonna be presenting that. We actually decided we're gonna do this this week and um, do this next week. And they'll probably just be like, okay, no worries. And, And they don't need to know about why or what's going on. Oh, we have to move it because Susie's dog is in the hospital and they have to go deal with it and their kid is out sick and so we had to move. It's like, no, no, no. They don't need to know any of that. Part of why they're paying you is to manage the subcontractor and to manage all that so they don't have to deal with it. So you Mm -hmm. rearrange the project schedule internally, keep it to what you said you were going to do, just shuffle things around a little bit and then reflow it. But again, you need to talk to your subcontractors about that and let them know how important it is. Like, Hey, we've all agreed to this. It's okay if something comes up, but let's talk about it, come up with a different plan versus just last minute. Oh my God, I can't hit that deadline because something happened. It's kind of a hard, it's a weird dance to do. You you're playing that line between like wanting to make sure that you are working with reality of life and schedules and things that come up, but also finding ways to serve your client who's paying you a lot of money to execute a project for them and to be a professional. So it's a tough line. It's a tough balance. But if you have talked to your subcontractors ahead of time and kind of established how important this is to communicate about it, then hopefully your chances of it, you know, not going sideways or being a frustrating experience goes a lot, you know, your chances are a lot lower of that happening. So that was kind of my last little thing I wanted to get in there for people.
1: Yeah, that was so good. And and again, that goes back to really trying to just be direct and honest and upfront with people about stuff. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're in the middle of like working with someone and then you're like, but this one thing has a remote chance of happening and it might derail the whole thing, figure out a backup plan for yourself. And the other thing is when you come with, with problems also come with solutions. So, yeah. you know, mm. here's what may happen and here's what I figured out to do if that does happen. So here's the plan B, just so you mm-hmm. know, that is mm-hmm. so helpful for people. People yeah. like to work with people that are solution oriented.
0: Yes. That's a great that's a great word to end on there Beth. Woohoo! Woohoo! Okay, so I hope that this was helpful for you all and that it kind of maybe answered some of your questions. I hope it also didn't scare you off. So yes, this <laughs> seemed like kind of a lot, but at the end of the day, like we talked about in the beginning, the pros is that this is kind of how you scale. You know, not that you have to yeah. like you're not hiring people permanently, although you can. But, you know, people have asked me recently, I've gotten a comment on Instagram of like, how do you get to a place where you are doing larger projects, bigger ticket projects, um, without having to sacrifice the amount of time that you're working? And this is how, guys, like here we, Beth and I are about to take potentially two big projects on for the fall and into next year. And we don't want to work any more than we're working now. Like we just don't, we have lives and that we love our flow, but we want to make more money and we wanna help these companies and we wanna challenge ourselves with these harder projects. So the way that we're gonna do that is by hiring subcontractors to come in and execute parts of the project, VA to help us run with all the scheduling, anything that takes time. And this is how you start to level up. You can start to charge for these bigger projects, but you have other people doing the work. But you want to make sure that the processes you have in place and the people you're working with and all of that is flowing really nicely. So you're not accidentally creating actually more work for yourself. Um, so that's why this is important. And I think this is going to be good information for those of you who are looking to to get, you know, those higher ticket projects and not work more. You <laughs> Might have to work a little bit more. Well, that's
1: scale, right? That's how you scale. Yeah, that's how you do it. So, yeah. Yay! Yay.
0: Anything else? Any other final words, Beth?
1: Oh, gosh. There's just so much to talk about. So tune in next time. We'll give you some more real real important stuff to think (laughs) about.
0: (laughs) Yep. And don't forget, if you uh, are interested in being one of our subcontractors, uh, join us in Slack. KenzaCollective.com slash Slack is where we post jobs. Um, And also set up an interview with me. So I'll put a link in the show notes um, to do that. And let's get on a quick Zoom call. We can talk about anything and I'll hear about your skills and your background. And um, that's a great way to get uh, in our brains and become one of our project teams. Be super fun. Woohoo. Woohoo. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have a great one. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Kenza Collective to stay in touch. And if you have a moment, please drop a review for this podcast so that we can reach more parents and help them create a life and a living that actually works for their families. Have a great day.